Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm so happy to be bringing you two incredible films combined together for one of Arrow's best ever box sets, Brute Force and The Naked City. And they've never looked better than they do here in these brand new 4K restorations. Dan... Uh, what did you think of how these movies looked? Uh, yeah, I mean, they are astonishing. I, I feel that when when one says they've never looked better, it's very easy for a listener to dismiss that as a thing that is said. But Sam is completely correct here. Yeah, they have never looked better. These films were fucked and uh, they are like painstakingly like resurrected, uh, I think is the word here. They are beautiful. Really, really beautiful. And um, the effort was kind of well spent because not only are they beautiful films, they're very important films. And I'm sure we're going to get into why um, because kind of very different reasons for both. Now, we're focusing on brute force for this episode, but we will obviously discuss The Naked City as well. As ever, we're going to do our best to avoid spoilers, especially as brute force has an incredible final act, so we wouldn't want to spoil it. But as that's the kind of main one we're focusing on, Dan, uh, why don't you give the precious arrowheads the plot of Brute Force? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, So Brute Force is, uh, on its superficially, quite a simple narrative. Uh, It's a prison movie. Uh, it features a, uh, a an early career Burt Lancaster who has sort of settled into his position in the prison uh, and things start to change after an inciting incident, incident which cause him to push back against what is objectively quite an authoritarian, well obviously authoritarian, it's a prison, uh, tyrannical ruling of the prison. It's dark, it's absolutely, like it's very, very suspenseful in places, it does have an amazing journey. It manages to interweave sort of like raw, frustrated masculinity in with some actually pretty solid uh, critical allegory of the of the times. Yes, um, and some some quite nice tenderness both between the men and in a slightly peculiar way uh, between the women of their lives in flashback. It yeah, it, it barely puts a foot wrong. It's a fantastic film. Let's talk a little bit about those flashbacks because that is an element that kind of was in against the will of the director, Jules Dassin. It was kind of insisted on by the producer because he wanted more roles for women in there, um, which is obviously quite difficult to do in an all-male prison. Yeah. Now, because they're against the director's kind of expressed wishes, people do criticise the flashbacks, but I actually like them. And I actually think they are necessary. And they kind of remind me of uh, a very kind of proto version of one of my favourite TV series of all time. And I hope I'm not crossing the streams when it comes to our recommendations here, Dan. But Oz, the HBO show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that was broadcast on Channel 4, um, I think in the 90s maybe, but so many of your favourite actors came from that TV show and that had a very similar flashback structure, though it was used a little bit more intricately and with more complexity in Oz, the TV show. But they're kind of over and done with pretty quickly in uh, Brute Force, aren't they? And and they do kind of, they do add something, I think. How, how do you feel about those flashbacks? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is we... 
you can't just take them out and look at the film without them to see how Dassin would have made the film had he not been forced to put them in. And I think that, you know, even when his hand is forced to include things he's not interested in or that he thinks maybe aren't necessary for the film, a good director coupled with a good writer are going to manage to make that into something that does feel important. Like, he's not going to sabotage his own picture, you know, just because he's been he's been strong-armed into it. I do quite enjoy them. It's often referred to as a prison noir. I think one of the things that makes up the noir is often the, the male-female relationships as they're depicted, and those little microcosms of different types of relationship, both with how they represent the prisoner's memories of the outside and, and their sort of longing to return to the outside, if that's ever going to be possible, but also that, yeah, they, they sort of pull it into a more traditional noir space, I think. Yeah, and I feel like left to his own devices, yeah, I, I don't know about Jules Dessin and women's roles. For example, one of my actual recommendations a spoiler alert um is going to be night in the city and jean tierney in that movie i mean i love jean tierney uh she's incredible in pretty much everything but especially leave her to heaven but she's completely wasted in that film completely wasted uh, even though it's a magnificent film i'm going to recommend it what do you think about dasan's attitude to female characters when he's kind of left to his own devices well i mean i think it speaks magnitudes that left to his own devices he would not have included women <laughs> well yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean i think he's a he's quite a um for someone who does sort of manage to stuff his projects to the gills with allegory, he's quite a lean and efficient director. There's very little that doesn't mean something either to the you know either because it moves the narrative forwards in a, a standard sort of filmic way, or because it 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 enriches some of that allegorical space that he's building. Uh, and I just think that you know he's working with his palette, and it it seems like female characters aren't necessarily very often in that palette. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. That is very, very well put. And obviously, this is one that I've recommended on the podcast in the past. It's one of those rare occasions when a movie we've mentioned goes on to be a release from Arrow, though this is actually a re-release, so I'm not sure if it fully counts because... Uh, I did have this on, on an Arrow Blu-ray before this release. But yeah, it's one I've loved for a long time. It's a film about anti-authoritarianism, as Dan mentioned, that has a beautiful script that incorporates a circular narrative, which I always love, um, yeah. with some truly next-level visual filmmaking centred around a performance of real power. What did you think of the way this film is shot, Dan? Because oh, it's photographed so, so prettily. Yeah, it's really good. It, it's interesting in that often it manages to make the, the closer shots feel more distant than the, the, the wides absolutely the, the yeah. spaces are so claustrophobic that as yeah. soon as you go out to a mid shot they're jam-packed there's so many guys in these tiny little spaces yeah. and then when you get into the close-ups you know you've just got a head and shoulders and and you, you see lancaster and he suddenly feels completely alone he suddenly feels completely abandoned and you realize that as much as these guys have bonded over their you know their sort of their version of campfire tales talking about these women and, and their various little plans and schemes when it comes down to it they're all alone yeah exactly yeah and the, uh, the visual language is gorgeous it really really is and yeah from from that kind of your first look at but every small movement every lot stance from lancaster is so heavily cinematic he was a gymnast and an acrobat before he became an actor and you can really see that physicality in all of his performance um he's tied with montgomery clift is the greatest actor of his generation for me and brute force is only his second film role 
following yeah, the killers with Ava Gardner. So he really hit the ground running. Um, obviously, we've discussed his work on the Sweet Smell of Success episode. And if you haven't listened to that or if you haven't seen that and you're listening to this, my God, go and buy that disc right yeah. now. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about his performance in this film. How did you feel and how do you feel about him as an icon in general? Obviously, we would have gone into this on Sweet Smell of Success, but how are you feeling today? Yeah, it's interesting, particularly on the extras on this disc. There's, uh, I think it's on the commentary that they talk about how uh, he he was like he'd butt heads with directors quite a lot when he was younger. Um, not so much on this. Him and Dasan kind of got on quite well, but but he was like in his. They quote his him in his biography saying his autobiography saying that you know he needed dunking in cold water because he was you know he didn't know what he was he he was too full of himself. Um, uh, but then watching the extras on Sweet Spot of Success, it does kind of feel like he was still the, like, you know, once he had the power and that maybe he was more legitimately knowledgeable about the, the, the process of making films, he was still just as hard-headed. I mean, I think, you know, the thing is, he's obviously a guy who's gone through life being physically dominant he's you know he walks into a room he's normally the biggest guy he's incredibly you know he's ripped he's handsome he's very tall dan you're he's... you're starting to turn me on here so um yeah, <laughs> let's move he's on a, he's a he's a very good looking guy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like so I, I think we i can't remember who we were talking about a few episodes back we were talking about that kind of like strong confidence that comes from knowing that you don't you don't need to like make a thing of yourself and actually that kind of plays into this like you know the, the the bad guy as it were in this film is sort of the antithesis of him physically you know he's a very small man uh, who's got this kind of napoleon complex and and yeah that that physicality in the film is fantastic because it's so useless in the prison system it's a lot of it is about sort of like non-sexual impotence the idea of 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 being uh, trapped despite all of the things you have that should be beneficial to you they're just useless in this environment yeah and he really expresses that coiled rage like in every kind of clenched fist I think that his background as an acrobat is really interesting in the context of what you're saying because I think what makes Lancaster so special is that kind of combination of extreme masculinity and very very on the skin sensitivity and obviously acrobats it's a very graceful beautiful it's almost like ballet as a kind of performing art but it takes incredible strength and will in order to pull it off in order to kind of survive basically and and so i i think that kind of very unique combination is something that really works for this role because he's obviously playing a a criminal who we're meant to sympathize with so that really kind of and and care about you know he's this tough inmate that that we need to care about in order for this film to work part of the way they do that is by making the guards just you know so infinitely more evil than the criminals kind of contain within this prison um but yeah it, it's Lancaster's performance that kind of really gets me and and you can see him thinking um and for him to pack all of that into a performance where it's his second film role ever like he was a star from the the word go um yeah. and and yeah yeah no it's just a really interesting combination 
And should we talk a little bit about the, the themes of the film? Because kind of for me, it operates as an allegory for any power structure where people are abused or exploited. Or if you wanted to get even more existential, the power structure of life itself, where it feels <laughs> like sometimes one hand gives and five hands take away. Um, to quote the film, nobody escapes, nobody ever really escapes. I think if you want to keep in being keeping with the film time, you've got to say the big hand gives and the little hand takes away. <laughs> that is very true. The little hand that is uh, raised and framed like a, a Nazi salute at one point in this film. Um, that isn't a spoiler. It's kind of a passing moment and it's good for you to be aware of it because... Uh, you definitely should be reading this film on multiple levels. Yeah, you kind of alluded to that in your plot description, Dan. It is um, a very allegorical movie. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, one of the most obvious visual motifs in the movie is the clock. Um, the the clock being important for many things, uh, representation of a passage of time, the grim march towards death, etc. The fact that it makes the same movements every day, just like the guys in there. But also the fact that the little hand has the the power that's the one that deals with the hours the long time the big hand the big guy doesn't really have any power in this he's just wasting the minutes yeah i i think that probably that is a really good way to kind of end the initial talk about brute force though we will go into the extras in a moment but let's talk a little bit about uh, the naked city because it's a completely different kind of film to brute force very very unique it kind of plays out like a nature documentary initially with New York looking like a jungle with a detached voiceover, which is performed by the producer of the movie, Mark Hellinger, who I think is the same producer who who made the Sam put women into brute force. But anyway, he's setting, right, yes. setting the scene and we kind of cut to random people and hear their thoughts. And it's basically 10 minutes of this really unusual introductory structure, which kind of buries key information. And then it turns into the first real example of the police procedural that modern day audiences watch on ITV every night, um, following an entire police precinct as they attempt to solve a murder. What do you think of this film's structure, Dan? Because off mic, you know, off record, Precious Arrowhead, Dan revealed to me that Naked City is his favourite film in this box set. So why don't you talk a little bit about why it is that you love this one so much? Yeah, I mean, that is in by no means besmirching brute force. I think I've, I've made my feelings on that very clear. Yeah, I mean, um, he just, recommended it. Just a it. very high bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on exactly. Switchblade Sisters. So, um, yeah, and I think I, yeah, I recommended it on Sweet, uh, Sweet Smell of Success. So we've both got a bit of history with brute force, but the Naked City we've never actually mentioned before. So... Um, no, well, I hadn't seen The Naked City before. Ah, that makes um, sense. Okay. So it was a first watch. So obviously it's benefiting a little bit from the novelty there. Um, but actually one of the things that I liked about it, you described, you compared it to a nature documentary, but I think it, for me, it felt more like a Mondo film. Oh, like yeah. It felt okay, like yeah, Jacopetti yeah. and Prosperi making a, a police procedural. And I love that. Like the moments when, you know, when it's in between the bits of uh, investigation or even, you know, during the bits of investigation, but where it's montage And so the producer comes back in and he's sort of narrating, not just narrating, but sort of talking to the characters on screen. Like there's a moment when you see a woman on a train when the press have got hold of the story about the murder and the police haven't made any progress. And she's biting her nails on the train as the narrator talks about how everyone's talking about the, the murder. And he says, 
don't don't bite your nails, darling. Stenographers almost never get murdered. <laughs> and it felt very much like the uh, the voiceover from Women of the World. That is um, yeah, very very Mondo. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like the whole, but like I just I loved it. It's a um, it's like a it's a very much a sort of a weird love letter to New York. It's like a sort of a yeah. It's it's a beautiful beautiful film, and I really love the the way it's sort of looking through the windows of everyone's life as it passes. So you get these tiny little snippets of all of these different things. So again, like like the Mondo stuff, it almost feels like a travelogue. Like it's being made for an American audience, but as an English audience watching it at the time, you're suddenly getting all these little insights into New York. And even, and this is not a spoiler, but Sam, you can cut it out if you want. <laughs> the, the last line of the film is there are, you know, however many million stories in new york city this was one of them and that's i I think i'm gonna leave that in the edit because that's quite a famous line and actually might bring people into this movie people who might not know where that line comes from i'd certainly heard it before you know years before i saw this film Um, oh absolutely and it's it's copied as well it's referenced exactly not just not just famous but it's become parlance exactly so yeah I, i i just think that the structure people kind of need to be warned about that structure to a certain extent obviously we love it but if this is your first ever noir for example you'd be like what the fuck is this because (laughs) i do think that that jungle element i do that's why i kind of lean towards more towards nature documentary than mondo though obviously mondo there are several mondo jungle movies it really feels like David Attenborough, but rather than the producer, is kind of narrating this like tale of human animals, basically. I love it. And the unique structure is rewarded with a very unique special feature. Did you listen to the audio? Oh commentary? my goodness. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And you know, Dan and I listen to a lot of audio commentaries. We've even performed a couple of audio commentaries. Um so it's always lovely to hear someone being experimental and taking a risk. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about how this commentary works? Yeah, I mean, I, I've never heard anything like this. No, me like, either. It, you know, I've heard commentaries that have uh, like little clips from, you know, trailers and news stuff and maybe even interviews interwoven within them. And I've heard commentaries that stop being commentaries halfway through and just become a lecture on the film. Like, I've, you know, there's so many different types out there. But this contains alternative versions of bits of the script read by actors over the tops of the scenes that they would have appeared in it contains the most sort of audio montage work from other audio sources i've ever heard in an audio commentary it's just an absolute delight it like because the film is slightly untraditional in its format anyway it almost feels like another just another movie it feels like a documentary about the film rather than audio, an audio commentary yeah a hundred percent it's it's so unique i mean i probably would say that i preferred the old-fashioned old-school straight and serious brute force commentary by australian critic josh nelson a very good commentary yeah it feels like a film school lecture doesn't it but it it packs so much analysis and information into the runtime it's just a masterclass of film expertise and there's some lovely stuff about noir being a socialist genre one that celebrates the working classes and how that's kind of really elevated in brute force and also on the brute force disc one of my favorite extras of all time which comes from the old release of the movie um kate buford who wrote burt lancaster an american life 
gives a, a comprehensive introductory guide to Lancaster's early career. I'm sure uh, by the end of this extra, you'll be as in love with him as Dan and I are. But maybe the best extras are to be found on the Naked City disc because there is some really unusual stuff on there what were some of your favorite extras on there dan who doesn't love a visual essay oh always always a good thing um yeah i mean it was it was like yeah it's just a solid set there's there's a lot of stuff and obviously you get your you get the book as well yeah exactly um definitely definitely uh i'd say a recommendation from us I don't think we're going to go into too much more on these films because, once again, they are relatively underseen. Yeah, well, do you, do you agree with that, Dan, or, or do you have more? Oh, do- absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we want to be very careful not to spoil anything, particularly with Brute Force. Um, it's, yeah, if you like your noirs violent, if you like your noirs uh, a, little, a little bleak, perhaps, uh, and if you've got any time for prison movies, then, yeah, Brute Force is, is for you. If you like your noirs atypical... If you like your police procedural, <laughs> then then it's Naked City. Yeah, but I, but I mean, fuck it, get the box set. They're both incredible films. Yeah, exactly. Get the box set. And I'd say that if every director was as honest as Tarantino and kind of revealed every single illusion and influence in, in their movies, pretty much everyone who's ever made a prison movie will reference Brute Force as being the one. Um, oh, yeah. You know, whether that's Birdman of Alcatraz or Shawshank Redemption or whatever it is, you can see the roots of all of your favourite prison movies in Brute Force. So Yeah, there's a particular moment that is is very, very Shawshank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, high, high recommendation. Uh, and let's go into our personal recommendations based on the film itself. I will go first because I've already alluded to one. Um, I could recommend any number of noir movies here it's one of my favorite genres um i've got so many backups <laughs> okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna run a few by uh the precious arrowheads here and if you want me to remove any of these dan just uh, give me a shout but i would also recommend angel face the big knife in a lonely place they live by night the killers i'll leave it there but i've got to pair naked city with another Desan movie my first Desan and probably still my favorite and that is Night in the City from 1950. It is essentially sweet smell of success in London instead of New York with Richard Widmark in the Tony Curtis role and was almost certainly an influence on that 1957 movie. Widmark plays Harry, a charismatically desperate grifter who wants to take control of the London wrestling scene. And he runs from one potential victim to the next as he attempts to charm his way into success. Uh, It also stars the fantastic Francis L. Sullivan, who you may recognise from David Lean's Great Expectations, which is another magnificent movie. Um, Jean Tierney is also in it, but as I mentioned before, not enough. She's basically there to establish Harry's character, but not much else. But she is as excellent as ever. Um, Knight and the city on Criterion in the States and on a lovely BFI Blu-ray in the UK. I recommend it. Dan, what is first from you based on Brute Force? Well, so like Sam, I've got a, a list. The The one that was I was really tempted to do, but I'm not going to do just because I've recommended it abstractly as a recent watch um, quite a while ago now, is Rossellini's Rome Open City, lovely. which was cited by Desan as an influence on Naked City, 
but is again about an oppressive force in a space it feels like kind of like it must have been a big event for Desang because I can see trails of it in both of the films mm. but I'm, I'm actually going to recommend Steve Buscemi's Animal Factory from 2000 it's another Arrow title uh, it's a neo-noir prison movie starring Willem Dafoe, Ed Furlong, Danny Trejo um, it's another movie about uh, the sort of enforced conformity of the people in society who are least suited to conform. Yeah, it's it's just another another great prison movie and another sort of at least noir adjacent movie. Fantastic, fantastic film. Is is that in any way related to Eddie Bunker? I don't know. Um, I seem to vaguely. I think yeah. Did, I think he he's he's. I, I I think he. If he didn't write it, then he wrote the the book that it's based book it's on. based on, and yeah. I think he's in it as well, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, it's been such a long time since I've seen that movie. I haven't even revisited Arrow's release of it, so that feels like a potential future episode to me because um, I, I remember absolutely loving it when it when it yeah, first came out. Yeah, it's pretty pretty brutal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But um, so many of the best films are uh, right. Yeah, he not only did he write the novel, he also wrote the screenplay. Yeah, I th- oh, I I was sure it was um yeah, sure it was heavily connected to him. So good. Yeah, that, and just in case there's anyone listening to this who doesn't know who Eddie Bunker is, obviously uh he appears in Reservoir Dogs, um but more significantly for me, he also wrote the book on which Straight Time is based and he mm. makes a brief appearance in that as well. Yeah. And Straight Time it's not a recommendation today because uh, I've spoke about it at length many, many times on this podcast. It's one of my favourite films ever. Um, but it's another prison movie, so worth worth mentioning. But my uh, next recommendation is a different prison movie. Uh, this is A Man Escaped from 1956. Now, this is one that I actually showed to our old producer, Mike. Hello, Mike. Um, and this is my double bill pairing with Brute Force. They're both noirish black and white prison movies with a man escaped being a cool french take on the genre uh it was almost certainly influenced by brute force with its intense focus on prison life and each of the very small steps that these characters have to take to try to find their freedom it's actually uh, almost a combination between brute force and the naked city with its kind of procedural approach to prison life Um, But where Brute Force is an allegory for war, A Man Escaped is inspired by the real-life experiences of French resistance fighters. And I love movies involving French resistance fighters. (laughs) And in fact, I love movies made during the French resistance, uh, a la Children of Paradise. But anyway... um, That was... Yeah, wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, A Man Escaped is directed by Robert Bresson, and it is a real slow burn, uh, but it really rewards your patience. A Man Escaped... If you like serious movies, I recommend it. <laughs> uh, again, a movie I would have recommended, uh, but I've recommended it as a just something I happened to watch like ages ago, is Truman Capote's TV movie The Glass House, starring Alan Arkin and uh, Clue, I can never pronounce his name, Clue Gala- Gulaga. Yeah, um, from Return of the yeah, Living Dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, which is, like, it... It's it's Capote adding a an extra character and a little bit of a twist to the uh, to the uh, brute force format 
like Sam said, you, you can't escape brute force in prison movies post, <laughs> like uh, post forty seven. They're just you know it's it's all over them. Um, but actually, I'm I'm gonna go with uh, another film that's about enforced subjugation of masculinity, pointless violence in a system that punishes it and doesn't allow room for it. Although it obviously it happens widely anyway. Another one that was met with uh, like aggressive criticism for the violence. Uh, it's actually much much more violent much more hard going i'd say maybe uh than brute force but you know different era um it's alan clark's scum from 1979 oh my god i cannot believe i didn't recommend this this is fucking brilliant yes dan please let's spend the next hour talking about (laughs) scum one of the greatest british movies ever ever made not only that, it features someone who would become a, a physically large and, you know, <laughs> personality large, domineering figure of its nation's uh, film scene uh, in a very early role. In this instance, his first feature in uh, Ray Winston, who was hired, uh, I think, because of the, I think, because of the way he walked, which made them re- completely rewrite the character because originally he was going to be Scottish. Well, Alan Clark is a big fan of walking um not, yeah. o- not only have you got well you've got elephant which is basically a whole film of walking but um you've got made in britain as well which yeah. has that iconic tim roth strut exactly yeah. but anyway sorry i'm crowding your recommendation because alan clark is one of my all-time favorite directors can't believe i didn't recommend this please continue i just <laughs> want to listen to you talk about this film he's incredible uh it's not black and white but it may as fucking well be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like one of the most muted films you've ever seen, yeah. except for the visceral red of blood and uh, and the occasional dash of colour from a pool table. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's miserable, it's wretched, it's gruelling, it's very, very hard work. Um, if you have been put off by the way that it used to be advertised, because it, it sort of... It was it was made once. It was remade. Both are fucking hard hard work, but in a, in the best possible way. Um, there are now Blu-rays of both. Uh, like there's a Blu-ray set that contains both versions, which I I recommend both. But but the way it used to be marketed because of the way the direction that Winston's career went made it feel much more like thuggy gangstery. And actually, it's much more about like the way when there's no other outlet violence is the is the way that young men go yeah. uh it's it's a much more even though the film itself is anything but sensitive it is a much more sensitive treatment of youthful uh sort of like near pubescent masculinity um in in all that that means and yeah it, it's yeah, it's grueling, but it's great. And um, what was that release that you mentioned? I mean, I know what it is, but I'd rather you said it because this is. I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I know who the the the, the distributor is. I, I normally look this up, and I, I neglected to this time. It's a it's a tin that I've got. Oh, okay. Both, oh, in that uh, case, we've got. In. It's different releases then that um we're talking about because I've got the indicator, the limited edition indicator. Which oh, I- you know what. I also have that, and I'm yeah. just remembering the beautiful steelbook that I still have as well. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, the the indicator release yes. I can certainly vouch for. And I yes. think the limited edition is still available because it was so popular that they extended the run, I think. I think. I might be making this up. But um, anyway, it, it's a really, really, really great set. And it is also on Prime if you just want to have a go. Yeah, but um, come on. But you you should buy it. Yeah. You should buy it. And you should watch it on a lovely big screen. 
and and you should also buy the Alan Clark at the BBC massive box set as well, which is just packed yeah. full of um, uh, and in fact scums in there as well, I think. But um, yeah, there's just so just the just the TV version or both versions. Yeah, I think it's just the TV version. Um, but it's also got to encourage the others in there, which would be a really nice kind of. I mean, it's prison adjacent because it's about a trial. But if you're into crime, then yeah. Um, yeah. That's another great one. But anyway, I could go on all day about Alan Clark and, and we're not going to do that. Instead, we are going to go into our recommendations based on what we've been watching over the past couple of weeks. Dan, would you like to start, even though you just ended, because I did just have a bit of a waffle about Alan Clark. Um, what have you been watching uh, this fortnight? Sam, let me tell you about a film from 1979. It's written by Schrader. No, not that one. His brother, Leonard. <laughs> directed by kazuhiko hasagawa it's called the man who stole the sun and i am in love with it tell us more it's a uh, it's a two and a half hour movie that on its surface is about a high school uh, teacher science teacher who after being uh, a victim in a sort of terrorist domestic terrorist kidnapping where a sort of fathers for justice type with a gun takes a school bus hostage and demands to see the emperor so that the emperor can say that he's allowed to see his kid again takes it upon himself to build a nuclear bomb because he thinks it's like pretty easy and he does so and he basically holds all of japan hostage holy fuck um you gotta remember that in 1979 it was pretty fucking edgy uh, still to be dealing with uh, nuclear threat in Japan. J- just um, a little bit, yeah. Just a little bit. Um, uh, and I think that had it not had a Western writer, maybe this wouldn't have, have got away. It's also got a super Western soundtrack, uh, including the Rolling Stones feature quite heavily in the narrative. I won't tell you whether or not they appear in the film because that's kind of a an arc. But, uh, but yeah, it's amazing. Like my reading of it is that it's about the unstoppable march of quote-unquote progress like how things will change over time and to try and resist that is is futile but also to to refuse to acknowledge it to be stuck in the past is futile like the terrorist at the beginning is demanding to see the emperor but by this point in Japanese history, the emperor was largely a symbolic figure. He has no authority. He can't help him because a lot of this film is about the encroachment of American society or Western society specifically on Japan and how it's sort of stripping away what what the traditionalists would think of as as being Japanese. And all the way through, there are these really interesting stylistic flips where it pushes towards this Western visual language, soundtrack, narrative structure. It's a really like beautiful dance of narrative. And I, yeah, I love it so much. Absolutely. Good luck finding it. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. I was about to... Oh, you can't do this to us. It's not just the precious arrowheads. It's me as well. Like, I, <laughs> you need to recommend... Get us excited about films that we can watch, God damn it! But um, I, I understand the, the desire to um, shout about movies as exciting as this when you see them. Um, how on earth did you watch it? Uh, I have a uh, a Japanese DVD, which I ripped to my hard drive and someone emailed me so a subtitle file. Wow. Um, so I could synchronise it, which is not actually that uncommon with how i watch films i have i have learned that it's like there's a big community like maybe someone will send it to you like you can ask for it online or whatever but there's a big community of people doing their own translations for films that you so you can buy these 
releases legitimately that don't have subtitles and then you can watch them with subtitles um because people are doing them and they vary pretty wildly in quality <laughs> i need to i need to introduce myself to this community because i've got a dvd of a movie called macho man i don't know if you've heard of macho man but it's uh it's german and it looks like the greatest fucking film ever made like the opening credit sequence alone um is is very funny uh accidentally it's um yeah but i just don't know what the fuck anyone's saying because the dvd didn't come with subtitles so is this the alexander titus bender movie by any chance uh why do you ask just because the poster looks like a sam film <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> yes it is uh so yeah <laughs> hell yeah that looks like a sam film maybe i'll tweet this poster um in the hope that someone listens to this and uh and wants to send me a subs file because good lord i'd love to know what these people are saying um uh sam yes the entire film is on youtube with english subtitles Oh my God! Right, uh, uh, we're going to have to take a break, precious arrowheads. Uh, <laughs> a ninety-minute break. I'll be back in ninety well, minutes. Well, an eighty-one-minute break. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll pick this up in a second. Um, but no, I'm going to make my first recommendation that isn't Macho Man on YouTube with English subs. Um, instead, I'm going to recommend The Big Fix, which is essentially the Long Goodbye meets the Nice Guys. Uh, this film was. A hundred percent an influence on Shane Black uh, in so many ways when he was writing The Nice Guys. I'm so sure this is one of his favourite films. Um, it is a brilliant mixture of comedy and noir featuring a charismatic performance by Richard Dreyfus as a divorced detective who has to balance being a dad of two kids who want to go and see Godzilla movies with trying to investigate a political conspiracy. Now, uh, The Big Fix is as much about the death of the 1960s as it is about the crimes at the centre of the story, but the slightly lackadaisical narrative all comes together incredibly satisfyingly at the end. Uh, this movie has one of my all-time favourite final scenes ever. It's just truly, truly joyous. The Big Fix is out on Indicator on the 26th of July, it's got a lovely cover. I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. The Big Fix. Uh, Dan, what's next from you? So from uh, a film you have to encode your own subtitles onto to a film that has no set release date in the UK yet. But if you have an HBO uh, account in the States, uh, you can now watch No Sudden Move by Steven Soderbergh. I almost recommended this as a companion piece to brute force rather than just something that i'd seen recently it's have you have you seen it sam i know there are there are sort of like press screeners around no i haven't caught this one yet though i love You'll, soderbergh so yeah, yeah it's 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 peak soderbergh wonderful uh he uses the heist narrative to sneak in social commentary love dealing it. with not just you know the hot button topics of of race class the abuse of the small man by the by the big man but but also just the the sort of the bending of the the passage of history by people with enough money it's yeah it's absolutely fantastic it's a really interesting film technically because it's a noir he shot it all on era appropriate lenses as part of like giving it that look and this is both incredibly effective and i love it 
and a terrible mistake and I hate it because it looks great and it's really like satisfying and it does feel like that era but all of those lenses were designed to shoot 4.3 and he's not shooting 4.3 he's shooting a, a widescreen format and so all the stuff around the edges is really warped right, and it's quite yeah. distracting throughout the film and for 99% of the shots I'd say just stick a bit of paper on your TV on each side and just forcibly crop it into 4.3 and it's a really good looking film like it feels like it looks right then um, but there are a few shots in the movie where uh, where like you know a character's right on the left or a char- and a character's right on the right at the same time and it wouldn't work in 4.3 otherwise I like for a long time during the movie I thought that maybe he'd wanted to shoot it in 4.3 and then he'd been for- like HBO had gone yeah fuck off mate <laughs> and make it made him release it widescreen but there are a few shots that sort of reveal that that probably isn't the case but it's yeah it's it's a fantastic like there's so many good noirs out there um but there's not that many good modern noirs and this is one of the best i've seen in a very long time it's absolutely fantastic yeah that's i mean it sounds amazing and it's it's definitely on my list like from that very first trailer oh it's a great trailer um i really want to see this um interesting about the the four free situation because obviously it's a warner brothers movie right because it's it's hbo yeah. max yeah, and yeah, yeah they let Zack snyder release a four-hour black and white superhero movie in four three so but that was but that was straight vod and it was something that they only allowed to happen because they were running out of content <laughs> right yeah no very true um yeah, it, and Soderbergh kind of normally does what he wants. Like, Unsane was a massive influence on A Little More Flesh. Like, uh, it couldn't be more of an influence because um, he shot that uh, on an iPhone and he used moment lenses. And I yeah. kind of, he, I was watching how to videos on Unsane while I was making A Little More Flesh. So he's a real pioneer in that respect. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I don't think his hand was forced. I think the I think the aspect ratio, in my opinion, was a misstep. Yeah. Um, it's the thing is it it's very interesting and actually like in some in some shots it works really nicely and I find it like it's very satisfying, but then at other times in the movie and majoritatively in the movie it's distracting. Right. Got it. Um, right. Especially without wanting to in any way body shame anyone. There is a, an actor who I very much like, who's quite popular on the internet, um, who is making a, a bit of a return to Hollywood at the moment, but who is uh, a bit a bit bigger than he used to be. Yeah, I, I know and who so, you're talking about. Yeah. And so when the other when other actors are on the edge of frame and they're being anamorphed into like stick figures, right. it, yeah, it it just distracts. All right. Well. Um... I'm going to move on to my next recommendation, uh, which Dan may well have seen. Have you seen, Dan, Day of the Dolphin? This, this feels like the sort of Yes, I listen. love Day of the Dolphin. <laughs> so I've got um, some fun Day of the Dolphin facts for you at the I, end of this. <laughs> I absolutely fucking knew this would be a Dan film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it is something of an acquired taste, unless you're, you're me and Dan. Um, but if the idea of George C. Scott emoting in the general direction of a couple of talking dolphins sounds good to you, then welcome to your next favourite film. It is truly a bizarre movie about a secret tropical compound where Scott spends time training dolphins to communicate without telling his investors uh, before it takes a final act turn so bizarre they spoiled it on the poster in one of the all-time great taglines. Yeah, um, <laughs> In all so caps, good. in all caps, unwittingly, he 
he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. I mean, how could you not want to watch that movie? Um, this is also out on Indicator on the 26th of July. <gasps> yes, Dan, yes. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful release. Um, and yeah, the movie contains uh, beautiful location work, great performances and some truly, truly goofy shit. Uh, as such, I loved it and I massively recommend it. And now we're going to move over to a new section of the podcast, which is Day of the Dolphins, Dan Facts. Dan, take it away. <laughs> well, let's all talk about John C. Lilly. John C. Lilly is the real life man on whom George C. Scott's character in Day of the Dolphin is largely based. John C. Lilly ran a research development facility trying to teach dolphins to talk. You may have heard some sort of like peripheral stories from Lilly's scientific endeavours because they were disgraced in the 70s when it turned out that not only had they been giving dolphins LSD. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> to try and promote advancement in the speech centers of their brains. But also, they found that the most receptive to learning. So, they, the, the entire facility was this sort of like half sunk apartment complex that they built in a bay where all of the apartments like had holes in the floor for the dolphins to come through and were built about like a meter below sea level. And a handler for each dolphin would live in the apartment. And the idea was that they would bond with the dolphin and that then they could start to communicate and everyone's taking acid. And when I say handler, that's the other controversy because these young male dolphins were not willing to do their class unless they had been masturbated by the human scientists. So there was a lot of like furore around the uh, the fact that they've been drugging up and wanking off dolphins. But here's the real beauty of this. John C. Lilly is not just the man on whom Day of the Dolphin is based. He is also the man on which Altered States is based. Correct, yes. yes. So Altered States and Day of the Dolphin exist in the same universe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've often pondered why George C. Scott was approached for this specific role. Um, I mean, he's wonderful in it, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's not like the first thing that you think of when you think of George C. Scott. Um, but yeah, it's based on John C. Lilly, so they just thought, let's get an actor with C in the middle. Um, I have a sub-recommendation based on Dan's uh, Day of the Dolphin fact of the day. Uh, there is a podcast which I absolutely love called The Dollop. Yes. Not a great name, but a fabulous podcast. And they have an entire episode on John C. Lilly. Um, so search that out on iTunes. Obviously, you know, listen to us first. Maybe listen to us again. Maybe go and listen to The Sweet Smell of Success. But once you've finished listening to all of our episodes, head on over to The Dollop because they have some incredible stuff. It's a wonderful yeah. podcast. Top top picks from the dollop are John C. Lilly, The Hat Riots, Hugh Glass, and The Rube. What's the one? Um, what's the one about the the baseball star? Who... That's the Rube. That's the Rube. Is it the Rube? Is that the one where he? Yeah, he'd run out of the with... stadium if an ambulance went by, and the yes. fans would turn up with shiny things to distract him. Holy shit! Stop. In fact, stop this episode right now, precious Arrowhead, and go and listen to the Rube episode of the <laughs> it's Dollar. So good. I loved it so much that she approached the biographer. I wanted to make a movie of this man's life. I cannot believe that no one has made a film of that story because it is fucking. It feels like incredible. a Coen Brothers film. 
It would be the best film ever made. Anyway, let's go into extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. Now, for regular listeners who might have taken a break recently, Extra Features has now been rebranded. It is a place where we recommend extra features, as in extra films. I can't believe... Extra feature films, extra feature films. I can't believe we didn't think of this in the earliest days of the podcast, but um, (laughs) but there we go. Dan, what extra feature would you like to recommend this fortnight? Sam, I recently uh, upgraded my projector. Oh. I've got a 4K projector now. Oh, holy shit. So obviously you know what I watched first. Um, was it correct? It was Tammy and the T Rex. Holy shit! This 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 new section is has been a mistake. <laughs> Do you know why? Why? I also watched Tammy and the T Rex this week. But, well, we but we predicted this a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, where we, we both, no, we both on, talked yeah. about having bought a load of stuff from the Vinegar Syndrome yes. sale. Yes. Um, so Dan why don't you give your take on Tammy and the T-Rex and I'll give my take on Tammy and the T-Rex and then we'll wrap this shit up (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah I mean I don't know what to say to you Uh, it's Denise Richards and Paul Walker like dino fucking madness from the director of Mac and Me what more do you want yeah I mean this was actually a first time watch for me I know it was a revisit for you but I'd never, I'd never seen it uncut before though like ah. it was always one of those ones where you were you were told that it had had all this extra stuff in it and um, it both didn't disappoint and very much did disappoint in the best <laughs> way Yeah, well, I can't imagine what it's like uh, as a special effects artist watching, for example, some of the stomach tears in this film. (gasps) Yes, that's very much where I was going to go with this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it feels like a last minute decision um, to to include that stuff. Um, But yeah, I feel like I feel like Sean Whalen just turned up with those guts himself. Exactly. but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it's all part of the charm of it. And I actually would recommend this just as a straight up recommendation. I really, really, really love this film. It's the first film I've seen, I think maybe ever, that's given me a similar kind of joy to the Garbage Pail Kids movie, which is... Yeah, I can see that connection. <laughs> it's it's almost like a, a weird kind of... Well, it's like it was designed for a double bill with the Garbage Pail Kids movie, um, 100%. It's like a weird adult kids film um with punks trying to actually kill the male lead um yeah it's yeah, just it's like a joy murder it's a joy um and how did it look uh, on the big screen in 4k unflinching <laughs> <laughs> oh man they should put that on the box <laughs> it's yeah like all of the things that were wrong with it are now more wrong with it <laughs> i like what i really like when i watch a dinosaur movie you know what i thought was wrong with jurassic park sam um, it was that the, it didn't have a woman wanting to fuck it. Uh, the the I the mean, uh, you weren't in the same cinema as me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was in the kitchen scene with the Velociraptors, where the Velociraptors do a, like a little profile snarl. You can't see into their heads <laughs> uh, through love... their gums. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Tammy and the T Rex here because they very specifically added sound effects to suggest that the dinosaur was an animatronic <laughs> dinosaur, an animatronic dinosaur yes. in the world of the film so it's not that someone's brain gets put into a real dinosaur it gets put into a robot dinosaur so you can excuse stuff like that can you excuse the wide shots of it walking down the street well no no 
you can't really excuse that, no. When um, they've just morphed its legs up and down. Or the, the arms it has that look like human oh. hands wearing gloves. It's honestly, those fucking arms, which are always like, you cut to the cl- the wides and its arms are traditional T-Rex length. You know, they're like 30 centimetres long. You cut to close-ups of its face and these arms are coming in and you're like, how many fucking elbows has this thing got? <laughs> I... I, I I uh, I photographed the screen, paused the movie, photographed the screen, and then drew in the length of the arm, I like it. it was leaving frame. I love and the it. The thing had like a four meter arm. And uh, Dan and I both got this in the vinegar syndrome sale. Is that safe to say, Dan? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, if you are in the UK and you don't want to import this movie, though, if you do. It's all all regions, so you know even if you've just got a normal uh, player, you can play it. Uh, but it's also been released by One O One Films in the UK, and I think it's exactly the same release, just not four K. So um, yeah, a definite definite recommendation from from me as well as Dan. It's just such a fun film, even though you've probably heard that it's a bad film. It's a good film in how much you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, it's one of those it's not like shit and boring it's just full of energy and weirdness and yeah they don't make them like they used to unless i feel like i feel like you only like bad films from the 90s plus but that's no that's not true because i've watched 70s bad shit with you and you've enjoyed it yeah i just don't i don't understand the maths of what you like Like, why don't you you like why don't you like contamination because uh, uh, and and here we go with the boring aspect of, of what I just said. I found contamination. Like, it's got a good start, it's got a good end, and then the middle is just such a fucking slog to get through. Whereas Tammy and the T-Rex is just constantly shocking you. It's constantly keeping your brain active. Um, yeah, every scene is a fucking wonder in this film. I loved it. I really loved it. So, yeah, that's... Can you see that difference? Yeah, I can see that difference. Okay, well, um, let's move on because I don't want to. I don't want to give contamination another kicking. Um, <laughs> uh, what else have you seen recently, Sam? Uh, that's actually it for my also rants. I mean, I I did. Okay, I'm gonna kind of recommend this one though with with heavy heavy caveats. Um, I also watched the Candy Snatchers. Uh, oh, how is it? The Vinegar Syndrome release. Yeah, of yeah, that. yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you watch it, Dan. It's got some very disturbing stuff in there, in done in a very disturbing way. But tonally, it's kind of it is all over the place. Um, I it was one of those films where I sat back from it and said, "Wow, that was amazing." It's got one of the most fucked up endings I've ever seen. Um, I loved it. I will never recommend that dan watches it and i will probably never recommend it on the podcast however i have just done that if you like insanely fucked up stuff um that might be a comedy it might be a a thriller it might be it might have elements of a horror um yeah if you want something that's going to be totally all over the place and make you feel extremely uneasy during it and very depressed at the end of it then (laughs) <laughs> the candy snatchers go go get it uh from vinegar syndrome but um I, I do actually have the candy snatchers but i have not watched it i bought it when it first came out i'm kind of intrigued then like yeah just maybe watch it oh no i was gonna say watch it on set don't do that um <laughs> watch it on an airplane <laughs> yeah there you go that's the perfect place for it um no 
but yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's just it's kind of uh, the other extreme end of the films that I'm into, which is the kind of fucked up stuff that you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? Um, I'm going to stop saying fuck because we'll get banned from iTunes. Um, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm due a, 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 a multiple month field trip in the near future for a film. Uh, and so I'll do what I normally do, which is take my travel PlayStation and my wallet of discs. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll put that one in. I'll, yeah, I'll give that a watch. I really would like your thoughts on it, um, very much so. There's some stuff in there that is is brilliant, but um, yeah, holy shit. Anyway, uh, anything else from you, Dan, for extra features? Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the only one I've watched from the set, but I picked up the third of the uh, Colombian noir box sets. Uh, from Indicator and I watched The Sniper from 1952 it came very uh, heavily recommended it's another uh, it's another sort of procedural noir but it's got a nice uh, psychoanalytical bent it, it's all about like what's he thinking what does he want it's very grimy it's it's very sort of matter of fact it doesn't draw a lot of uh, doesn't make a lot of uh, judgments on the people in it uh, and uh, and while at times it's a little uh, melodramatic it's it's really good like I really enjoyed it excellent excellent oh well i again you know i don't know why it's taken us uh over a hundred episodes to get good at this dan but it's another good episode i feel like this one there's there's so many wonderful films and in this episode uh so yeah again as always precious arrowheads drop us an email if you watch any of these crazy films uh it's in the description of this episode or you can just tweet me and dan and Here's how you can do that. Dan, what's your Twitter address? I'm at 13fingerfx. I got my blue tick, Sam. I saw, yeah. I, I saw. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I felt like I'd achieved something. First time in a long time. Well, uh, it, it all depends, Dan. And I think that you do fall into the category where you have achieved something because I have a feeling that um, your blue tick was thrust upon you as opposed to you filled out yeah. a form. Yeah, yeah, um, I just got an email. It was amazing. Fantastic. So there you I go. woke up, I was checking my emails on a Sunday morning. Hadn't been on Twitter yet. There you go. There's my blue tick. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I it mean, great. I turned down my blue tick, Dan, because I feel like that's the sort of thing a working class person would do. I told them to shove it up their ass, but um, I'm, I'm joking. I didn't do that. Please give me a blue tick Twitter. I would love to be acknowledged uh, within your corporate structure. Um, Dan? How do people reach you on Instagram? Uh, it's the same. <laughs> it's at uh, and I, I'm at Sam Ashurst, unless they shut down my account because of what I just said. Uh, but if I'm still there, then please do tweet me about the films that you watch based on this podcast, uh, because we really do love to hear that from you. All if it, right. If it makes you feel any better, Sam, yes. they've got... Uh, 15,000 backlogged blue tick possibilities at the moment. I mean, that that doesn't make me feel better because they've A, put one half of this podcast to the top of the list and B, I genuinely don't want one. Um, not because I'm bitter that you got one first, but um, I just, I'll probably delete my Twitter in the next couple of weeks. The, so um, The app changes, Sam. Oh, go on, tell there's, me about there's, that. There's new bits. What do you get? What do you get? It's, I mean, it's not. It's nothing particularly exciting, but there's just a new tab on every page. Oh, what's the what? Well, it's can like you it's order how, people's it's, deaths. Yeah, that's I knew it. it. <laughs> uh, no, it's just it's just that you can see that thing, but just the blue tick people. 
I fucking knew this it's was like an elite. It's like a little community. It's like a little, yeah, like a little secret club. Do you have to worship a giant owl in order to get a blue tick? Is that what you're doing when you're on set for these uh, Brandon Cronenberg movies? <laughs> no, uh, but I do have to now dress as a giant owl. I fucking knew it. Well, I will look forward to that for our live episode in, in Fright Fest in August. Um, <laughs> which we should probably start talking about soon-ish, but uh, maybe now's not the time. It, it, I'm just going to wrap this up. I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to say the catchphrase, which is, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next, next time. time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.